part B of the Slash featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators um, trilogy that we'll have going for you this week. Um, this one is with uh, bass player Todd Kearns. Again, another great chat. Hope you enjoyed the one uh, previous to this with Brent, and this one won't disappoint as well. Todd, uh, like Brent, he, he plays in Tuke. Um, he has played with a couple of the Kiss guys as well. Um, he's been around for, for quite some time now, so he's um, just, a, just a great guy and a great musician. Uh, check out the new album, Slash, featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators, called Four. It is out now. And hope you enjoy our chat with Todd Kearns. We are good. We actually talked to Brent last night for the show as well. Oh, cool. Yep. Yep. We do not get along. That's what <laughs> Big exclusive. Big exclusive. <laughs> he, he told us you get on so badly that you've even started another band or you're in another band too. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Just yeah, to we prove played Bruce Kulick. We played Bruce Kulick too, just to make it all the more annoying. Absolutely. God damn, I can't get away from each other. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty great, man. It must be like um kind of like kindred spirits, man, so that you really lock in. We talked a little bit about that, how comfortable it must be for you to have him and for him to have you, you know, as his rhythm section. Yeah, that's, uh, well, there's so much that goes unspoken between, I mean, probably, uh, I think it's unspoken anyway. Maybe it may not be unspoken for every rhythm section in a way, but there's something about playing with, um, I think it says a lot when you've played with certain drummers in your life that it didn't quite jive naturally and there has to be a great deal of discussion about this kick drum should be here and that should be that, then you're probably just not sort of, locked you know you're probably just not on the same page but brent and i it's very sort of an unspoken there's all kinds of unspoken things that we just sort of know you know and in a bizarre twin language kind of way um it just sort of happens you know and you know sometimes what when slash plays a riff we just start playing whatever comes naturally and then you can sort of analyze what came naturally versus maybe we should do this or maybe we should do that or stop here or go halftime, slow down, whatever the hell it is. But usually whatever feels natural kind of is the part, you know what I mean? Is the sort of part of the song that you play and what you sort of um, build upon. But when you, when you guys like, when you um, like this album, is it, is it usually that slash comes up with, riffs and ideas and then you build from that or do all of you bring ideas for songs and then you you know go through it all and pick whatever fits the album um it's definitely more the former in that you know these things are all built upon and what people, a lot of people don't realize is that these songs are all created largely on the road right like this this record not unlike every record prior started to kind of sprout up in jam sessions at soundcheck when we should be checking microphones and, and the monitor guy and sound guy are staring at us like, what are you doing? You know, we're just jamming some riff that no one's ever heard before, which I, I think is always fascinating to me that, that somebody who just happens to be sweeping up there or whatever is hearing like songs from four, three years before the record is released, you know, like a, they probably don't have the wherewithal to, to grasp that but um so largely there there hasn't been a lot of um you know uh outside stuff but you know it, it mostly sprouts from slash because slash has i don't know what he's doing right now but he's probably making up a riff you know it's just <laughs> who he is and it's a classic and i was just saying to to somebody how like every time slash plays a riff i always say to him well i look forward to watching some kid on youtube play this someday you know, and it happens. Call the call off the dogs just came out the other day, and the same day, like it came out, and then boom, there's these kids on YouTube playing the song like note for note, and I'm like, this song's only like four hours old, you know. <laughs> uh, but he inspires that kind of that kind of thing, you know. He just has that that thing, and I think that 
it's called Slash featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators, so it has to stem from him. You know that 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 has to come from him. And I feel like, you know, in a lot of in a lot of different situations, you imagine, oh, and then they got together with this songwriter and they did this and they did that. And sometimes in those on those occasions, from some of your favorite bands, you go, well, that's cool that they got this song out of it, but it doesn't really sound like that band anymore. It sounds like that song could be anybody. You know, I mean, it, but it just happens to be played by that band. So I think in this instance, it, to me, it's always like it's been it, important to me as, as as a supporter and as a fan. If I if I wasn't in this band, I always sort of try to remove myself and look at it and go, I think I think I would love this band because it's Slash's stuff. And clearly, Miles has, you know, he's got a talent to be able to turn those into into good songs too, beyond yeah. just riffs, you know.
So, are you recording any of these um, any of these uh, sound checks? Do you do you ever say you work on a riff? Say you get, you're playing London and you're like, okay, let's sit on this riff for a little bit, you know, and then you guys start to hone it, hone it. Maybe you go to Manchester, like you pull out that. Let's do that riff we we did in sound check the day before. Do you ever get to the stage where, you know, you kind of call out the uh, the sound engineer just, uh, hey, just just record this or something like that, so you've got it as a basically as a little demo. That's exactly what happens, actually. It's, it's funny that you say that because it really literally is that. We, um, I was just looking. We were just going to our rehearsal space right now, and there's a dry erase board with the working titles and stuff for the last record, and uh, which is kind of fascinating because I, I walk in and I go, this is still here. You know, it's like this, is, this should be, you know, I don't know, sell, auction it off to a fan or they'd love to see this. But and, I, and one of the songs was called the the working title, I believe, is Path Less Followed was originally called Toronto because it was because <laughs> we started rehearsing it or jamming it in Toronto, Canada, you know. So so that kind of stuff happens all the time. They'll be like, you know, like, hey, Quake, can you record this? And we'll just play. And and then you, you know, you, I was going to say, then then you make dubs of the cassettes and you hand them around. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you burn the CDs. No, no. It's so like then you've got you know, these, these waveforms that you can kind of, uh, wave files or whatever, just to, and they sort of sit in and live in, in, in that, in the cloud until, uh, until we decide to do something with it. As far as I know, there's still a, a, a wealth of stuff to that's still sitting there. Like that has happened. Slash is such a completist that way. It's funny. Cause he'll be like, well, that'll be for the next record. Like even in the middle of doing stuff with the, with four, he'll be like something new would come up and he'd be like, Oh, well, we'll put that on the, for the next record. And I'm like, where a lot of guys would be like, we should flesh this out and see if it's going to work, you know, for the new record. He's like, no, 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 that's for the, we've got to complete this idea. We brought my, we brought our cats to, uh, to uh, Los Angeles. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, we adopted a couple of cats during, uh, well, in fact, one cat walked through our front door, this random stray cat. And we tried to figure out whose cat it was. And then it was just like, okay, I guess it's our cat. And then, well, she needs, she needs a friend. But I hadn't been home long enough to be a pet owner, you know, again for all these years. But I was home for two years. So it's like, yeah, sure, let's get some cats now. But then it's like, well, we got to go to L.A. It's going to be at least three weeks. Do we get a cat sitter? And then you find yourself having to make these responsible decisions again. Like, I hate responsibility. This adult <laughs> thing. That's why I'm a musician. <laughs> like, if we bring him to L.A., we're going to like, we're going to tribe it up in a hotel room. Cats are right. <laughs> <laughs> the cat seems to be the uh, the animal of choice for a lot of people. Like Blasco from Aussie's band, he has a cat. John Five, he has a couple of cats. Um, right? Yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of others that you you see cats popping up. I think they're kind of um, what's the word? Uh, you know, you you don't have to take them out, and and, all, and and when you go away as much as we do, it's sort of like you, they kind of are self sufficient to some degree. Yeah, these yeah. ones are very. These ones are very needy and reliant on us because we've never spent a moment apart. Almost, although you know, on a few occasions I've had to go and make four and things like that. So I have been away, but uh, yeah, it's it's bizarre. This sense of bonding that you're kind of like not accustomed to. It's like <laughs> you're a cat. You're supposed to feed and all that stuff all yourself. I don't understand. But yeah, but I, I you know, I, I I kind of avoided all that for years because I just you know I travel too much. I, I'm on the road too much. I can't. I can't deal with this. And now here we are. Yeah. Right. I'm traveling. I'm worried about them at rehearsal going like, is he okay? Does he still have that cough? I'm like, <laughs> that'll happen to me. My heart
I'm thinking like um, now working with Slash for all these years. I mean, uh, is there stuff that you've you know that you've learned from working with a guy like Slash and 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 working with a guy like Miles? <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, I think the most interesting thing from Slash is. I mean, Slash, for all intents and purposes, could have stopped growing in 1990 or whatever. You know what I mean? He could have he could have just said, "I'm Slash. This is what I do." Yeah, uh, and just ride it out. You know what I mean? Like, but he is uh, in constant motion and in constant growth. You know what I mean? Like, he's. Um, I would argue that, as he should be, he's a better guitar player than he's ever been because he's constantly still pushing himself and still growing and still trying to do other things and, 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 you know, and not really relying. Well, I mean, there's a certain degree of, of, of himself, of being himself and doing what he does, but he does push himself all the time. Oddly enough, Miles is actually like this more schooled musician. Like he comes from some kind of jazz backgrounds and stuff like that. And they'll, they'll be talking about different, um, a Mixolydian scale or some nonsense, you know, I, I don't speak that language. It sounds like Klingon to me. I don't know what's going on, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and, and I'll see slash kind of, and then he'll turn that into something. It'll turn it into something very slash, but he'll find a way to, because that sort of opens up a whole other side. He's been playing this thing his whole life. And then all of a sudden somebody opens up another door that he didn't even know was there. So even something like when we first started playing, uh, he's first started that riff for, um, uh, the opening riff, uh, riff of uh, Anastasia. Da -da 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 -da. He started. He did this guitar solo when we would, in, in, back in 2010, 2011, we, we would do uh, the Godfather, and he would have this guitar solo by himself, and he would just start doing that in the middle of the guitar solo, and it, it kind of like progressed, like where he kind of worked it out, like night for night, it would turn into this thing, and then it turned into this song, and um, and it's very like the first time. Somebody, I remember somebody, one of my friends hearing Anastasia and going, it had this kind of Euro kind of neoclassical kind of thing to it that was very not Slash or not Guns N' Roses, but somehow is very much Slash and is very much Guns N' Roses. So, so that's the thing about Slash is that constant sort of like, no matter what, he is, he is always moving, always moving forward as much as possible. And like I said, he doesn't have to. He really, really could just be sort of sitting there playing paradise city and, and welcome to the jungle and just like whatever cash and checks you know miles miles is also um his work ethic is 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 unparamounted as well um i think Sla uh, miles has become <laughs> hello miles has become more and more um uh comfortable with with what he does because i was just talking earlier about how on apocalyptic love he was really sort of hard on himself and very I wanted this to be great. I want this to be awesome. Can this song be better than it is? Can, which is a very common thing that musicians and writers do to themselves. But at the same time, it's sort of like now that we're into like four and, and he's done countless, like the solo stuff, the um, Alter Bridge, like he's, you know, he, he's in a constant state of creation. You know what I mean? So it's kind of as if one project gets put to bed and it's time to open up the new one and start working on that. And I think he's sort of, trust his own instincts a lot more, which I think is something I would have advi advised him. And I think I did advise him back in 2012, when we were working on apocalyptic love, like don't worry so much about what this can be. Just, just do, just be you, just do you, you know, and, and it'll be great. And he, and I think that he's sort of a lot more comfortable with that idea of just being miles. And, um, but at the same time, he does push himself as you, and you've, we've all seen it because Alter bridge is markedly different from the solo stuff. Yep. And from SMKC, it's like, those are, although they're all the same guy, it's different chapters of the same book in a way. Do you, do you think he would have been capable of doing this record uh, around the apocalyptic love time? The, the Dave Cobb style of recording. Do you think he would have been able to do that back then? Um, that's a very good question. I think he was kind of almost uncomfortable enough in the Eric Valentine world who did a, apocalyptic love. And Eric was a very sort of like, we don't need seat belts. We don't need safety nets. We don't need any of this stuff. Let's just, you know, throw caution to the wind. Um, 
but not quite as far as Cobb. You know what I mean? Like it was sort of, there were click tracks, there were, um, uh, but it was about capturing the moment at the same time. Miles is very comfortable with Elvis, with Michael uh, yep. Basquette, who is right. a very dear friend and a, an immense talent. So I think that there is something to be said about um, just simply being comfortable as a vocalist. You know, it's, it's such an emotional thing. You're trying to share, you know, you're trying to emote, you're trying to perform. Because uh, there's nothing weirder than, you know, being a singer is so much more about trying to capture a moment and trying to convey emotion more so than it is about singing perfectly in key. And some people, you know, you, we will take, you know, a, a crack in the voice or a, or a slight pitchiness here and there, as long as it feels like real and we're feeling what that person is singing. Um, there's a fine line, obviously. And, and Miles is very comfortable with, with, with Elvis. And uh, so I think sometimes, but I think at the same time, it's, it's sometimes important to get pushed, pushed out of your comfort zone. And this was way out of his comfort zone. You know, Dave Cobb was way out of all of our comfort zone in a way, even though to me, it wasn't so much out of my comfort zone as much as it was just sort of like, you're like, you kind of have this moment where you're like, are, are, we can do this. We're allowed to just kind of, and then you're kind of take, of course we're allowed to do this. This is, this is the way we did it back, back in the day. Why shouldn't we do it now? You know, you just get kind of accustomed to, you know, you listen to the, whatever the modern rock station is and you hear very similar tones and similar themes and, and you go, well, how does four work within the context of all this? And then part of me is like, who cares how it works in the context of all that? And maybe the fact that it is different makes it better or not better, but makes it more unique and stand out on its own in, in, in a different way. Recording in Nashville, and 
recording at, you know, such a classic studio as RCA Studios. Um, and um, how much do you think that uh, reflects on an album, the, the whole vibe and what's the uh, effect it has on the recordings of an album being in such a place? Um, you know, I have often wondered that because you'd always hear those stories of we're going to Montreux to record or we're going to the Bahamas. And I'd always think like, what? And you can actually treat it as like a, as a kind of a getaway. Like I always thought like, you know, those like Berlin recordings of Bowie and all that. You'd be like, wow, right. that, would, that would completely change the vibe of a record, really. Um, I always said, I wish I lived in a day where the budgets were such that we're going to Berlin, we're going to London, we're going to New York, you know, and we're going to live there for three months and have this whole other experience. Um, Nashville during fucking lockdown was kind of, you know, <laughs> it may not have been all that different of being, you know, in Des Moines, Iowa in, in lockdown. Right. I don't know. And five um, days too. Five yeah, days. You're not, you're not going away for three months like you did back no. in the day or four months. You were there for, you know, recorded the blink of an eye. Yeah. Five days. Yeah. yeah. But that said, there is something to be, you know, you, you go in there, you feel the magic of the room. You realize that, you know, Chet Atkins, my dad loved Chet Atkins. And I was like, this was his room. Like he, he, this was his place. And, and then, then everywhere you look or step, there was like, oh, Waylon Jennings did this and Dolly Parton did that and Willie Nelson. And you're like, it just, that in and of itself is, is exciting. I think just the whole thing is exciting. You know, I, I'm the kind of guy that, you know, whether there's 10 people in the audience or 10,000 people in the audience, I still want to, to me, it's still the celebration of getting on stage and playing. So there's a certain amount of like, whether this is a palatial luxury studio or a fucking garage with like running water from the septic tank, it's sort of like, let's make a great record. You know what I mean? Like you're kind of like, fuck it, let's just make a great record. But um, that said, I think that having uh, that kind of history was really, um, I think it couldn't help but be, be a big deal and be inspiring. And, hmm. and um, I think it, like I said, it's good to kind of step out of your comfort zone. To be honest, we, we, we just assumed we were going to be doing it here in Los Angeles at Slash's place, probably recording drums at NRG studios that we've always done in North Hollywood. And then going back to Slash's studio and finishing the record. That's just the comfort zone these days for us. But, you know, as soon as you take that, take yourself out of your safety zone, you're going to go make this record. Then you go, okay, well, here we go. Let's do this. And not only that, but the, the idea of like, there's no click track, you know, and all that kind of stuff. It takes you out of another comfort zone of like, you know, the, we're going to fix everything. We're going to quantize everything. We're going to tune everything. Um, but I'm always up for that kind of thing. Me, uh, you know, I, I like the challenge of these things. So it's okay, let's do that. Let's, 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 let's just go out there and, and make this happen. Whether it, you know, you succeed at it or not is not really up to you anyway. It's up to the, it's up to the universe, you know?
What about gear-wise? Because there's a whole plethora of, of special gear that's sitting in that room for you guys to choose. Did you did you indulge a little bit out, outside of your comfort zone with gear-wise? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I That's another fun thing for me, too, is that a lot of guys have their... Slash is one of them. Slash has, this is his thing, this is his rig. You know, it's got to be this, this guy. And I, I think that a lot of guitar players can be like that, you know, sort of... Frank was pretty adventurous because there's a lot of vintage amps and things like that to play with. I, I played with a bunch of stuff too. I stumbled across this um, high watt guitar amp that had belonged to um, Tom Peterson from Cheap Trick. And I was like, well, if Tom had this, then I have to try it. <laughs> and it was monstrous. And you can hear it on, on Cough, the dogs. There's a part where the bass is kind of playing with just the drums and it's just really gnarly and really over the top. And you're like, but, you know, when you got guys like Dave Cobb, they never, there's no such thing as too much, you know, is this too much? You know, is there such a thing? You know, just roll with it. It's cool. Um, but it is, you know, it's a room full of vintage gear and, and a vintage gear we're recording into as well. So it's like, you know, two inch tape and an ancient board and all that kind of stuff. It was, um, there was, uh, yeah, that, that's part of, part of the fun to me is going into the, the candy shop and getting to sample all the candies. <laughs> nice. Well, you, you, Darren knows this, but I don't know it. And, and Brent mentioned it yesterday as well when we talked to him. Slash's place is that is that like a studio at his house or is it a studio downtown? What is that? It's a separate entity into itself. It's kind of like you know, like it's it's the dream, really. Like I've always said, like wouldn't it be awesome to have your own Paisley Park or your third man, you know, Jack White kind of place, you know? Um, and Slash does. He has his own place, and we rehearse there, and we can record there. We tend to do, do the drums elsewhere just because we like to have the, the uh, option of a much larger drum room. And then we can go back in there and record whatever. So it, it's certainly set up for all of that if you want it to be. So to Slash's credit, you know, to go through the entire headache of building that fucking thing and then going, <laughs> but we're not going to use it. We're going to go to Nashville. It's like, okay, but that's how ambitious and adventurous he is. It's like, I think he had that conversation with Cobb and Cobb was so caution to the wind that it really kind of made slash go fuck yeah let's do this you know let's 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 go make this crazy black sabbath one record you know like yeah let's do it you know and you know what that's actually part of the magic that makes this record so good that free that that free flowing i'm sure you guys will probably in six months time you'll probably pick a few little mistakes uh you know this is this is awful that's out and they're probably the same things that people will go fuck, I really love this, you know, or I really love that, you know? We, but we, that's we, part of the charm of all those records. Like whenever I listen to like, you know, the other day I'm listening to uh, Can't You Hear Me Knocking from Sticky Fingers, Rolling Stones, and the riff comes in and it's bitching and then and the bass comes in and it's it's very obviously out of tune. You're like, and you uh, you don't think there was anybody in the room that said, we should probably take that again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you're like, why? why would you take that again it's fucking perfect you know it's like this whole vibe is happening and it is what it is you know it's like i guess the it were different times back then you know and i think that we become you know I, i've likened it to the you know the idea of when we were kids you'd watch star wars and a lot of the effects were actual practical effects people wearing costumes and masks and stuff like that and and we were like Bring it on. We, that is, that's the way it is. And then as technologies have gotten better with CGI and stuff, we know in our mind that we're watching a CGI effect happen. Um, and it might actually be more impressive, I suppose, than having watched two models flying through space or something like that. But there's something about the actual tangible quality of seeing those models flying through space that, that makes it sort of better, I guess. And I think Sometimes I listen to those old records and I can hear Robert Plant's voice kind of crack a bit or, or that kind of stuff, you know, or you feel when you listen to Led Zeppelin, um, there's a couple of cool uh, YouTube things where people have quantized the drums to like running with the devil by Van Halen. Right. And yes. it's, and it's very strange because it's so yeah. subtle that you don't really think about it, but, but these songs all have a give and go because they're not really dealing with click tracks back then. I don't even think that they would have, necessarily been that concerned about it um uh i think i think a lot of the, the drummers that they were hiring for a lot of these sessions for phil specter or for any of those kind of they were just fucking metronomes anyway so you kind of yeah. knew but you know but these guys are all 
human beings. So when stuff gets exciting, it speeds up. And when it lays back, it's kind of on purpose and it gives it that human quality. And I'm not like one of those hardcore people who goes like, it has to be this or it has to be that. Cause I think that there's great things happening in every possible way things are created. And I, uh, I just know that I know how slash operates. He loves the moment. And when yeah. you take away the, when you, when you're playing the same thing a hundred times, you've taken away the moment. You know, it's just, that's just the way it goes. It's often the magic is happening in those early stages of, of uh, just flying blind, you know, and hoping that you're just staring at each other going like, great, right? And you kind of nod at each other. Remember, this part's coming up and you go, oh, right. You know, and you kind of, that kind of thing. It's part of the fun. You know? we have the technology and the technology is constantly moving forward and but it's just like that's i mean you, you mentioned that the human quality to to songs and music and that's something that i feel is missing more and more especially especially in, in popular music and pop music and stuff like that that 
just because you have the technology to make everything perfect, you don't, you know, you don't need to make it perfect because it gets kind of sterile and, and it, it doesn't sound, you know, it doesn't sound alive in a way because it's so pitch perfect, everything. It gets boring. You know, Dave, well, Dave Grohl, go ahead. Uh, sorry to interrupt, Dave Grohl did something a couple of years ago when he bought that desk from uh, Sound City. Oh, Sound City. Yeah. E- exactly. And, and that's, you know, that's... Um, it just puts anything recorded on that. It puts a whole different feel. So I kind of feel people are kind of going back to that more organic vibe. Well, yeah. it, it, it does, not only in a recording sense, it has created an entire conversation about the live presentation. So it's become more and more normal to have things, um, you know, not to burst anybody's bubble, but a lot of things that we're watching live are not being played by live musicians. Things are, there to accentuate the backing tracks and that kind of stuff. And I think that part of the charm to me as a kid was hearing, say, Live at Leeds or Song Remains the Same and hearing, you know, the Who recordings were a lot going on. There's rhythm guitar, there's, you know, the Tommy stuff, there's strings and big choirs and shit happening. And then you, and you hear it live and it's just a rock band. And that was always so exciting to me to hear like this just, rock band and the same goes for led zeppelin with the you know jimmy page was brilliant at like structuring and arranging and stuff like that in the studio but live he was the only guitar player so Mm. so things kind of became something else live so but that's kind of part of the charm is paying that money to go and watch this band perform this stuff live if they're going to sound exactly like the record because everything's on tape, then I kind of go, well, what's really the point of being here? That's just the the old man sort of brain on me is kind of like, well, I'm paying to watch these screens and people on stage, I suppose. But, um, but I'm not, I'm not the kind of person that judges it because I know that, you know, I'm just, you know, get off my lawn, you know, you know, know, (laughs) back back in my day, but it's sort of like, I do still love, and I, that's why, you know, I came, you know, grew up on, on, on punk rock and all that kind of stuff where it was like, that wasn't even a consideration. Like what? No, we just go out and we play. And sometimes we have that conversation in this band with SMKC, like, you know, the fact that we don't have big screens on stage. And I was like, no, fuck. It's like, it's like 1975, 76. And this is it. You come and you watch the rock band, Led Zeppelin, at Madison Square Gardens, and this is what it is. You know, you're way in the back. Well, that's what it, you know, I understand the idea of like technologies advancing and and things being what they are, but I just have this thing where I just naturally gravitate towards what we do. And I probably always will, really. It's just sort of what I prefer.
Um, let's let's um, I got a couple of quick Nashville questions. Um, across the road from the studio was McGee's management. Did you go knocking on that door? <laughs> um, we didn't, but it was there. I remember driving past every time and going like, but it was also COVID. So I don't even know if anybody would have been there. I, I, I don't know, but um, it's such a fascinating thing to me, uh, you know, that like Las Vegas has a similar thing where it's like, where I want to put a sign up and outside the city limits just saying we're full get go back you know because la is emptying out into places like vegas and and nashville like crazy especially nashville when it comes to the music industry um so seeing doc there who we you know we we kind of know via the kiss camp and and all that kind of stuff and the guns camp to some degree um it's been very interesting no we we didn't get a chance to see him out there though again we were we were our protocols were sort of like let's Let's lock down so we don't get COVID, but get COVID anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's the beauty. You guys all traveled out there together, so yeah. um, you probably yeah. you probably gave it all to yourselves, you know. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Well, Miles had been sick right away. This is the funny thing about Miles, and I feel terrible saying this because I because it, it feels like I'm outing him, but he's kind of always been a little bit. He's a singer, so he's always kind of like, uh, you know, uh, yeah, it's like you know the air conditioning in here, you know, and, and I'm like. So I don't really, not that I don't take him seriously. It's just kind of like, he's very sensitive that way. And I remember he was staying out in this kind of like, was in this massive ranch style kind of mansion-y type thing we were staying in. And he just happened to be staying in this pool house out in the back. So there was a, a separate living residence out back that was the Miles Kennedy area. And um, he comes over and he's like, I think there's black mold in that room or something. It's giving me like, uh, you know, allergy type stuff and i'm like okay and i never i never considered for a second it could be covid none of us had we hadn't left our house my wife and i well other than going on restitution walks here and there but none of us none all of us had been living that way for so long that none of us could have considered where would we have got covid yeah you know considering we'd stopped at a couple of gas stations along the way to fill up and whatever um i guess that's possible so when miles actually it was the funniest thing is we're all sitting in the kitchen area, chilling between whatever we were doing. And, um, you know, we, we, we had all been tested multiple times to be in the studio together. So none of us were wearing masks together. But then when Slash walked into the kitchen with his mask on, at first <laughs> I looked at him and I thought, you know, it just seemed weird. Cause it's like, we were accustomed to it. Walk outside, put on your mask, whatever. But the fact that he was wearing it there and he just started, he said, uh, Miles has COVID, and we just all like, what? Oh wow! It's just like, but you know, I was like, of course he does. Of course he fucking does. He's been sick for like a week. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, fuck. And then li- literally that day or the next day, Brent and I both went down, and it was like, ah, oh, what are you gonna do? Right. What? Yeah. So it was Miles's fault. Was I'm, the long story short is. <laughs> <laughs> So, so what, what day was that in, in, in the whole process of recording? Was that towards the end of the, the recording? That was day six. Because <laughs> okay. oh. So we had, re- we had recorded the lion's share of it on, on day five. Maybe it was day five. I don't remember. But it was like, um, you know, when I say, when yes, the record was recorded live, but we did end up doing backing vocals and a few things that we had to kind of, you know, um, <laughs> triangle for, Dude, that's uh, that's so great. We talked to Brent about it yesterday. That's yeah, yeah, seriously yeah. one of the highlights, and that's going to be a challenge live. Let's see how, <laughs> how's he going to do that. So. Brent was just uh, threatening that he's going to make Miles play that ding, 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 ding. <laughs> fucking spotlight. You know, the whole like make a big part of the show. Um, yeah, it was like so all that kind of like little stuff. But they literally, and they, I think they might have done a, a quick little bit of guitar, little extras here and there. But that was done, like, you know, and then they were like, well, now what? Like, we're literally sitting here with unfinished vocals because Miles had sung what he could sing, and then he kind of, like, you know, hit a wall. And uh, they just kind of went into the mixing process very early. You know, they started kind of, okay, let's mix what we have. And then when, and then Miles and I literally started singing harmonies and stuff like that from, a, from that pool house with the black mold, <laughs> which didn't have black mold. It had COVID. Um, <laughs> And that was, that was the record. Like it was done very quickly, very sort of like, and then we were like, and we normally like, well, do we double these vocals? Should we put th- three or four different harmonies on this? Cause we sometimes get kind of like, 
you know, queen about it, double up the vocals and put this and do that. But then we were like, well, no, because the nature of the record is very live. So it should just be the single vocal yeah. uh, and single harmony or whatever. Anything that can't be performed live, we should just abandon. Kind of, that was the idea. Um, so that was it. You know, it was like, it was, it was fast. Blink of an eye, it feels like. Cool. And, and just quickly to, to end it, we've got a couple of minutes left. Um, how, how much of the songs? We know that kind of Dave Cobb didn't want you guys to get it too tight. He, he wanted a little bit of looseness there, so we kind of got that, that creative flow. But how, how, um, how complete were the songs when you walked in there? Out of the 10 songs, how, how complete were they? Um, well, in a funny way, I felt like I was the most um, familiar because I had actually been Brent was trapped in Canada for a giant chunk of COVID, the initial wave of COVID. And I was out here a lot in LA. So I would come out and I would, you know, we, we would knock around these riffs of his <laughs> on a fucking fake little drum machine that we would try and create a drum pattern to just kind of be able to put stuff down. But Slash was so spinning in circles, just wanting so badly to be creative and be doing something moving forward. And, um, but that said, it's kind of like, you know, this is sort of the idea and Slash doesn't operate on like, we're going to go all the way out to Nashville with a completely unrehearsed um, set of songs. It's sort of like, well, we're going to get our arrangements together. And that's very common. I mean, no matter who the producer was, often what will happen is we will get together, rehearse it without Miles, just kind of put arrangements together. Miles will come in and put in his two cents that'll change the arrangement. Then the producer comes in and then he throws in his objective point of view. So it's in a constant state of rearranging and, and, and being put together, torn apart, being put back together. So it doesn't really matter how much you arrange it. It's still, everything's on the table for, uh, you know, you know, that let's just do a complete new paint job on this thing, or let's just twice as long here, half as long there, even like the river's rising, the, um, that the, the double time fast Metallica kind of outro, was only the outro and i think cobb was like you should make that the solo and i think that yeah okay and so that just kind of happened in the moment too um a lot of things happened in the moment where it'd be like you know we'd run through it and be like well what if this and what if that let's try it again and and um but that's pretty common in in the process of recording anyway there's very rare it, it's Slash is so unprecious about it too. Like he's not the kind of guy that goes like, oh, hang on a second, let's go all go back in and listen to the demo that we did. Like that never happens. We call that demoitis where guys are like, well, on the <laughs> demo, I played it like this. And that can be common, especially if you're trying to get an idea across, but it's sort of, you know, your little rock song has got a reggae vibe. Now you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You were going too far. But, um, but Slash is very unprecious. Like it's like, if a part's not working, he's like amputate. And I'm always, and I'm always the one going like, well, that's my favorite part of the, it, uh, it's gone. Never mind. <laughs> Excellent, man. Thank you so much for your time. It's been great. Thank you. So much fun. Yeah.